Good morning, Oaks. I'm Ed Rocha, one of the elders here. Good morning, uh, and it's good to see everybody here. Beautiful day outside. And again, this morning I have the big privilege and responsibility to bring the word. So please, please be praying that uh, God help me uh, here through this. If you have been coming in the last several Sundays, we have been going through the sermon and the Mount. So if you want to have your Bible prepared for that, today we'll be covering Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. We use the ESV translation. So if you're doing that on your phone, select that. If you have a Bible, it's a different translation. We have some in the back. If you don't have a Bible, you can take one of those as well. So let's pray. Lord, we ask you that you be here this morning, Lord, in a way that we hear your word, Lord. Please use me this morning to be truthful to your word and bring the message that you have reserved for us this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. A lot of you guys know that I work for Scheffler, used to be called Luke, for over 25 years. And even before that, I have been in quality for a long, long time. And a good chunk of my business uh, at work is to create systems that we ensure that we comply with uh, laws, industry standards. You may have heard about ISO 9000. You may have seen some flags in front of companies talking about that. We have our internal procedures. We have customer-specific requirements. And <clears throat> so a big part of my job is to make sure that our organization is meeting those requirements. And we have audits twice a year where the auditors come to verify that we are doing the way we are supposed to do, and so we can keep our certificate of compliance to those standards. It got to a point I basically memorized ISO 9000 so I would know the possible questions from the auditors and I would know the answer. So in many cases the auditor would say, what I would like to see is this or that and I'm processing here with my knowledge of ISO 9000 and I was going to say, which requirement specifically are you trying to ask me to demonstrate? And if they we're not specific with a letter of the law requirement, I would say, I don't think I need to comply with that. Or I would say, hey, the requirement says, if applicable. And in my situation here, it's not applicable for this or that reason. And I would get out of it. I became a real good ISO 9000 Pharisee. <laughs> I mean, and proud of it. I mean, I, I was actually proud when I could uh, deal with the auditors and they couldn't give me a, a, a finding, a non-conformance because, hey, you have to prove that that's a requirement in the law. If there's no law, there's no, no crime. So it was an interesting thing. And to a degree, as we go through the um, Sermon in the Mount, we see Jesus dealing with the Pharisees that are kind of doing what I do with ISO 9000. They were taking a certain twist on the law that had been presented and they would expand on that with their distorted view. So it became very interesting. We've covered, Pastor Chris covered um, murder, adultery, divorce. Today we're going to talk about oath. There is retaliation next Sunday and keeps going. And the whole theme is basically Jesus repeating that the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And that's what 
they were uh, missing in, in many cases. So there will be four facets that we're going to be looking at the text today. What was written on the law? What did the scripture say about a certain topic? Then I'm going to say facet number two. How did the teachers of the law, the scribes, the Pharisees, how did they interpret that? Then we will see what Jesus say about that. And ultimately, we're going to say, what does it mean for us today? Okay, so there will be four facets that we're going to go through as we, as we divide. And obviously, important is that we don't make the same mistake that the Pharisees uh, did. And Jesus was very clear in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount when he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you never enter the kingdom of heaven. So the bar is very high. Now, let's make it clear. In all this antithesis that we see Jesus saying, well, here's what you have been told, but I tell you, he is not criticizing the Old Testament by, by any means. He may be criticizing the understanding of the Old Testament when that was distorted by the, by the teachers. Actually, he is pointing to the original meaning and objective of that law when God uh, defined it. So let's go to the text that you probably have opened already right now, Matthew 5, 33 to 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven or by for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not take an oath on your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Well, some ladies do, but okay. Let, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray again for wisdom. Lord, we, we ask you that you give us wisdom to understand your word, your message for us uh, this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be looking at oath. And that was my first mistake. When I, I normally select which topic I'm going to cover when I'm talking to Pastor Chris, and I say, can I cover this one? And I pick this one. And I have a hard time Speaking the word, oath. It, I mean, when I speak, it sounds like oath. <laughs> so, if it sounds like oaths, you know I mean oath. When it goes in the plural, it's even worse, because how do you put TH on an S after it? Oath, I, I don't know, but you, you know what I mean, okay? So let's start with, it's not a word that we use every day, so let's start with what's the meaning of the word oath? It's a statement or a fact or a promise supported by a sign of verity, okay? So it can be two things. It can be just a statement, something you were saying, I didn't go there or something like that, or it can be a promise, I will do this tomorrow, but it's supported by a sign of verity. So, for example, if people say, oh, my grandmother's uh, grave, I didn't do that. Or if somebody says, I swear in God's name that I will do such and such. Okay, so that's what an oath basically represents. 
So let's start. What did the law say about oath? And verse 33 is not a direct quote of any verse from the Old Testament. It's actually a little summary that Jesus made of different verses, maybe even blended a little bit with what people were used to hear from the, the teachers of their time. So let's go back for a minute and take a few of the main points uh, in the Old Testament, in the law, that define oath and the expectations around it. So I'll, use, I'll start with Exodus 27. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. <clears throat> then Leviticus, 20, uh, Leviticus 19, 12, it's even more direct because it says, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Or Numbers 32. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all the proceeds, uh, what that proceeds out of his mouth. Actually, this verse uses a, a few of the words that are kind of with the same meaning as oath. It talks about vows or swears an oath uh, by a pledge. So these are words that have similar meaning. So what the Mosaic law forbade was irreverent oaths, using the name of God improperly. The light use of the name of uh, the Lord in day-to-day -day situations that definitely that would not require. And obviously broken vows. I mean, that's what the law is fundamentally uh, saying here. And again, I mean, we're not gonna have the time to go through all the verse that support that. Uh, but in the Old Testament, God himself pronounced oaths and covenants. Okay, that's not uh, unusual to see. Remember the story of Abraham when he is sending his servant to go look for a wife for Isaac? He demands that the servant swears an oath with him about the criteria that he would be using there. David took an oath when he was proclaiming Solomon as his successor, as a king of Israel. So they are there throughout the Old Testament. And they were designed to encourage truthfulness, okay? It, that was the, the way that was put. You, you are calling this sign of verity, like I said in the beginning, to reinforce, to strength the, the, the speech that you are making, typically in a somewhat formal situation, to reinforce. So it's to encourage truthfulness, okay? That said, what were the teachers of Jesus' time teaching. And you're gonna find this, I think, a little hilarious. I mean, I, I, I did. They would say that if when you are pronouncing an oath, if you say the, word, the name of God directly, if you say in God's name, then you have to follow that. But if you tweak it a little bit, if you say, by heavens, I didn't do it, well, you didn't say the name of God, so you have a little wiggle room in that. Actually, they created, I mean, there are texts that were preserved from rabbis from that era, designing, defining exactly what you could or could not use 
to support an oath that was valid or what would give you, eh, that you, you, may, you may be able to get around that. Now, how do I know that? Well, first of all, I mentioned that there are uh, writings from that era, but if you look at verse 34 to 36 that we read in the beginning, that explains why Jesus is saying the way he's saying. He's talking there that uh, either by heaven, because it's the throne of God. I mean, you're, you're, you're saying, by heavens, I didn't do it. Uh, well, that's the throne of heaven, so you're including him anyhow. And he continues with those examples there. So that's one support to what I'm saying, that they were teaching a distorted teaching. But there is an even more blunt one. If you want to flip to Matthew 23, verses 16 to 22, Jesus is having one of his famous debates with the Jewish leaders of his time, and he calls them blind exactly for that reason. It's a discussion about the topic we are covering today. Verse 16 through 22 on Matthew 23. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound to his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater? The gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred. And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind man, for which is greater? The gift or the altar that makes the great gift sacred. So whoever swears by the altar, swears by it and by everything on it. Whomever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. So imagine that, something that God created in the Old Testament to encourage truthfulness. Suddenly, it's being used to disguise deceit. That's a complete distortion of the original meaning and the original point that the, the, the Old Testament was, was doing. So that's what Jesus is correcting here, is this wiggle room that the Jewish leaders had created for themselves and for the people if they were paying attention, if they were not, even better for them because they could pretend they are making this very serious oath, but they were not even intending to follow that. So, Facet number three, what did Jesus say about that? Well, basically what Jesus is saying, if that's the way you're taking an oath, don't take an oath at all. I mean, knowing how they were treating oaths is the reason Jesus makes this statement, don't take an oath at all. Because no matter what, God is involved in the transaction that you are dealing God is present, he's everywhere, he is involved on that. So your disguised method is not going to take anywhere. So Jesus specifically is saying, if the, the oaths which were designed to encourage truthfulness became occasions for clever lies and deceits, then Jesus will abolish the oaths. That kind of oaths, those frivolous oaths. It's not a ban on all oaths. Oh, wait a minute. And are you sure of that? I mean, Jesus is pretty clear here. We don't want to do like the Pharisees, find a wiggle room around what Jesus said. Well, 
Let me support it because I, I took some time to make sure that that was, uh, that was clear so I could communicate with you guys. God himself swears. I mean, we mentioned that about the Old Testament, so I'll go to some reference on the New Testament that make reference to that so we can support that. In Luke 1, 72 and 73, you don't need to look for it because I'm going to be jumping through about half a dozen verses here. Luke 1, 72 and 73, the covenant that God made with Abraham that we all know about is being treated as an oath, literally here. The verse says, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. So God swears oath. Hebrews 6, 16 and 17. The author of Hebrews here is clearly stating that there is a place for oaths. For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he granted it with an oath. So still under the subtitle, God swears oaths. Okay? Now, early Christians also uh, are recorded uh, swearing an oath. We'll use our friend Paul. Romans 1.9 For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you. So he is explaining to the church of, Corinth, uh, of Rome that he mentions them in, their, in his prayers. And to put the extra emphasis on the truthfulness of his statement, he starts by saying, for God is my witness. Or when he writes to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1.23, but I call God, to witness against me, it was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. So early Christians, particularly Paul, are rec recorded by, uh, as taking oath. Well, Jesus actually testified under oath in, in his judgment. He didn't say the oath, but he accepted it and answered to it. Matthew 26, 63 and 64. But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So, was Jesus Banning all kinds of oath? I would say, no, that's not what uh, I find evidence uh, here. He was banning the frivolous oaths the way the, the, the Pharisees were, were using that, particularly in informal conversations. And we, we, we see that uh, nowadays. I mean, the, uh, using swears in our regular conversation, I'm not saying swear with the other meaning of the word swear, okay, of using bad words, and in the meaning of oaths and pledges and this and vows, uh, using uh, those in our regular conversation is senseless from the meaning that Jesus is presenting here. So, 
Let's transition from what Jesus said to how that applies to us. Jesus presents a new standard, a higher bar, like he is doing when he says, don't murder if you have anger. Don't uh, commit adultery if you lust. So he's always bringing a, a higher bar. So he's basically saying, the bar for us as his followers should be so high that oath shouldn't be necessary. A man's character should be enough to ensure his word. Okay, so it's not that the oaths are banned. They should be unnecessary. Whoever knows us, if we say yes, they should believe us independently of us calling our grandmother's grave or anything like that. It's funny that Lisa and I watch a lot of TV shows and sometimes they are uh, interviewing a suspect and the guy said, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. And the police is insisting that suddenly the guy says, oh, my mother's grave, I didn't do it. Then the police says, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, now, uh, now, now I can't believe that. Uh, the, the. So, now, you're, you may be saying there, well, are, are you sure about this thing of how what Jesus really meant, because some people interpret in a different way. The, the, the essence, uh, which is a, a Jew group, stated that if a man cannot be believed without an oath, he is already condemned. The Quakers still don't take oath for the same reason. George Fox, the founder of the Quakers, went to prison in England because he would not take an oath in, in, a, in a court. <laughs> Quakers, oath. <laughs> I know it's oath, not oath. It still intrigues me that the Quakers that don't take oath are forever associated with oaths. Oaths, not oath. But anyhow, well, now, if you disagree with me on this interpretation that oaths are okay sometimes and they have a place please talk to me we can explore i have a few extra notes that i can't fit here but my understanding if you're going to be the next mayor of worcester and you are asked to swear an oath when you take the office or the next president of the united states you're not going to be sinning dr rainey Nuzo had uh, uh, an oath when they graduate from uh, medical school, and I think even some other professions, I'm not uh, completely aware what is required. That's, that's not wrong. If you have been a, a, a witness in a, in a trial, you normally do that. The, I think the American law allows you to say, I affirm, instead of I swear, but in, in, in a certain way, it's similar. So, in formal situations, it's not banned. It's still okay. Again, Paul was doing that years after Jesus expressed this in the Sermon on the Mount. So I, I found a statement from Dr. Kent Hughes that summarizes it well. Oath-taking is permitted but not encouraged. In civil life, oath-taking, as in a courtroom, is permitted. And when one does so, he does not sin against Christ's teaching. Also, on rare occasions, it may be necessary, as it was for Paul. However, oaths are not to be a normal part of everyday conversation. In normal relations, oaths should never fall out from our lips. Kingdom men and women do not need such devices. Their commitment to truthfulness should be evident to all.
Okay? So if you committed to help with the children's ministry, you don't need to swear. You just need to do what you committed to do. Okay? Now, I want to expand on that because I am under the impression that if I would stop at this point, some of you would be sitting there and say, well, I don't use oath in regular uh, speech. I have not even been in a courtroom where I had to, to do that, so I guess I'm fine. Well, I want to widen the, the, the meaning of what Jesus is saying. When Jesus says that your word should be yes or no, that word, word, is logos. So Jesus is really covering all our speech and talking about radical truthfulness, okay? So it's not only limited to, oh, actually he's saying they shouldn't be necessary. Your word all the time should be truthful and faithful and trustworthy. So Jesus is not just fixing the bad way they, they were treating oath. He is raising the bar, like we said before, and what he's, he's doing all throughout the, the Sermon in the Mount. So I almost changed the title, but it was too late. The bulletins were printed. I wanted almost to call this sermon Radical Truthfulness, because that's what I think we should look at, the truth every time, everywhere. Um, so I did a little search of what the Bible says about lying to see how bad does that really seem to be in God's eyes. Leviticus 19.11b, you shall not lie to one another. Pretty clear cut. God's expectations are absolutely clear. Psalm 119.163, I hate and abhor falsehood. Not much wiggle room. God is saying clearly how he feels about falsehood. Proverbs 12, 12. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. This one even does a, a compare and contrast between the two situations. I mean, how God feels about lying lips and how he feels about faithful uh, people. John 8, 44. This is Jesus saying, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Okay, so Jesus is making it very clear, the association that he is making with lying and who is the author of that? Colossians 3.9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So this is, uh, Paul is saying here, it doesn't belong to regenerated people, the, the, the lying, the non-truthful talking. And now the most shocking one. Look at in which company the, the falsehood is put here on Revelations 22.19. Outside are the dogs, and the sorcerers, and the sexually immoral, and the murderers, and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices uh, falsehood. God's not kidding about it. I mean, it's pretty serious, his take on how this is to be, to be interpreted. So, and remember, that applies to promises, to statements, to our daily conversations, it's with us 
every time. We should know, be known as people that are truthful. Now, again, another moment of dilemma during my, my sermon preparation here, and I was exchanging messages with uh, Pastor Chris, because, uh, see, now, is there a situation where lying is okay? So I decided to open this parenthesis here. And when I was thinking about this, again, it's, it's a little uh, non-sacred re- reference here, but in the 70s when I was a preteen, I loved to watch Star Trek, the original series, okay, the only, uh, the only one that counts. Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, and the Enterprise crew going where no man has been before. Remember that? I mean, young people, you have to watch the reruns or watch Big Bang Theory because they, they love that as well. There was a, an episode that was called the Corbomite. Okay, long story short. The Enterprise is under a threat from an imminent attack from these aliens. They can't move the ship, they can't go anywhere, and the alien guy says he will destroy the Enterprise. They are discussing uh, uh, between Kirk and, and, and Spock, and Spock says, it's checkmate. So he's saying, we don't have a way out of this. Then Kirk says, it's not chess, it's poker. And he opens the microphones and he tells the alien guy, he says, well, the Enterprise is made out of carbomite, which is a material that, if attacked, releases 10 times the energy that it's applied against it, so it will destroy its attacker. He waits a few seconds, then he commands that they try to trust away, and they go away with the Enterprise. I thought that was clever and that was fun. Then years later, I thought, but he lied. Is that okay or not? I mean, that, I, I, had a, I almost called William Shatner to discuss with him if that was uh, a thing or not, but then, Professor Chris and I were looking for some more solid basis for our conclusion than Star Trek. So we were talking about some Bible foundations for this situation. And I'll pick two that are very known, and I think you guys are, are going to relate to it. In Joshua chapter 2, we find the story of the spies that Josh sent to Jericho and how they were protected by Rahab, the, the, the prostitute. And then the king of the city was looking for the spies. They come to Rahab and they ask, have you seen these guys? And she says, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. First lie. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. Second lie. And I do not know where they went. Third lie. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them uh, up to the roof and had hid them on the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. Clearly, she was lying, right? At least three times here. Now, in the Bible, I don't find a rebuke for what she did. Actually, she is listed in our Hall of Fame of Hebrews 11. Yes. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those that were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Eh, you could say, well, that's eh, not, not quite as conclusive. Pastor Chris gave me a better one. Exodus 1, when the people are still in Israel, the people, uh, still in Egypt as slaves there, the Pharaoh doesn't want the people to become too powerful. So he calls the midwives, and he 
wants them to, to kill the uh, male babe boys. So, uh, verse 16, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, you shall kill him. If it's a daughter, she shall leave. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? And the midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwife comes to them. Lie. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. They lied and got approved. So what's the deal here? Well, again, these are rare exceptions when to avoid lying, you would be committing a greater evil. Okay, so I doubt many of us are exposed to that or will be exposed to that. Pastor Chris mentioned another thing, Second World War, a little closer to, to us than the Bible times, when people were hiding uh, the Jews from the Nazi. They probably had to lie when the soldiers came and said, do you have any Jew here? Uh, and things like that. So, again, it's a rare exception. I want to mention, and be done with that. The same way that we, uh, we see that Bible states that God hates divorce, but has some situations where it might be applicable. God hates deceit, but allows it in some rare situations. Okay? The heart of the matter, it's a matter of the heart. And again, you can deceive without saying specifically a lie you are still deceiving, you are still going against these teachings. It's possible to misconstrue something without saying something that specifically is, is a lie. But remember, God knows everything. He owns everything. He is everywhere, so you cannot fool him. I think the, his word is clear on his expectations. Again, I did this little detour, but I hope you guys are not going to... Uh, focus on that and not going to see somebody telling his, uh, the, the, the pastor that, uh, well, I didn't tell that to my wife because that would be a greater evil. It would destroy our marriage. Well, if you're lying to your wife, you have another problem. I mean, don't hide behind this uh, thing. These rare exceptions don't apply that easily, okay? We're probably not in a war situation or something that maybe would justify that. So let's remember the name of our church, Oaks, is based on Isaiah 61.3. And it says, that they may be called Oaks of Righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. The reason we exist is to glorify Lord, our Lord. And one way of doing that is being known as righteous, being known as people that are working hard to do God's will. I will fail, but we're trying real hard. So can we commit this morning in the presence of God to be people that will be known for our truthfulness in whatever spheres of your life that that would be valid? And to not close without remember 
the other side of the person who we are dealing with. Our God is faithful. He made a promise and he fulfilled it. He sent his only son who emptied himself of his glory, came as a man, lived a perfect life, was unjustly accused, died for our sins, resurrected on the third day, and that allows us to have a relationship with God. And that's the God we serve, a God that's truthful, faithful, and righteous. To him be the glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning that we can freely open your word and study and look for the meaning for our lives, uh, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity and we ask your help in our day today to live in a way that honors your name and glorifies your name by, by being truthful and free of falsehoods, Lord, to honor your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.